the last several years, I've, I've had this dream of going on a road trip with several of my guy friends. I've wanted to go out west and to camp out in the, in the desert and to ride, ride dune buggies through the desert and just do all kinds of fun things. And so there's been a group of guys that every year on New Year's Eve, we've gotten together now for like 13 years. And for most of those 13 years, at some point in our New Year's Eve hang, I've, I've talked about this trip. I'm like, hey, we've gotta go do this sometime. We've gotta, we've gotta go out to the desert. And so this year, I'm not sure if it was just the fatigue of COVID. I don't know if it was just the exhaustion of everything that was going on. I was kind of doing that same spiel that I do every year on New Year's Eve, and one of my friends who was there, he said, hey, unless you're gonna just give us a date to go on this trip, quit talking about it. Like, I'm tired of hearing you talk about this trip. And we all need friends like that, right? Friends that will basically say, hey, quit talking and do something about it. And so uh, in a few days, I'm gonna go on that trip with some of my friends. I'm so pumped about it. We're gonna go camp out west. We're gonna go do all sorts of stuff. And, and thanks for the three people that are excited. Um, that, uh, yeah, thank you, thank you. That, uh, that my dreams are gonna be fulfilled. So I've been so pumped uh, about this trip. And so Sydney and I, the other day, we were walking around the neighborhood and she is the planner in our family. If you know us, that's not shocking. She is the one that knows the details. She's the one that probably keeps our family alive. She's amazing. And so we're walking around the neighborhood and she just started asking some questions about this trip out to the desert. You know, just basic things like, where are you gonna stay? Have you thought about this? What are you gonna do? Have you thought about that? You know, she's, she's just asking all of the questions in hopes that I'll stay alive kind of at the end of the trip. And so uh, I could tell there's a little bit of concern. She wasn't trying to be pushy, but she was just kind of asking some questions. And so a few minutes into this walk around the neighborhood, all of a sudden she's just kind of, I, I see this just sense of peace come over her. I could just visibly see it in her face. And she said, despite all of my uncertainties, despite all of my fears, she said, it gives me so much hope because I know that you're going with Aaron, who he knows what he's doing. <laughs> you're going with Lee, he knows what he's doing. You're going with Cully, he knows what he's doing. And you'll be the guy that'll tell stories and make them laugh around the campfire. And, and that makes me happy. And, uh, and I went, wait. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if you meant that to be as insulting as it came across, but, but what I heard was the only reason that you are comfortable with me going into the wild is because I'm going with three actual men that actually know what they're doing, that actually know how to kind of help me get through. And she said, you know, I didn't like really think about it that way, but, but I'll never forget this. She said, but it's kind of true. <laughs> it's kind of true. And, and we laughed, we laughed so much about that over the last few weeks because, or last few days, because the reality is what she was speaking is what I actually know, it's what she knows. Like, I'm not hiding from that. Like, I wasn't built for the wild. <laughs> like, like, I wasn't built to survive in the wild. I, I love to watch Bear grills take other people into the wild. It's a phenomenon that we saw this year in the midst of COVID that one of the most popular shows was the show Alone where we sat at home on our couches in isolation and watched others survive in the wild. But I think most of us, if we were really honest, like we know that we haven't been built to survive outside of the comfort and the safety and the predictability of the life that we've grown really accustomed to. This is true physically, this is true emotionally, this is true spiritually, this is true relationally. A lot of us, whether we have meant for this to be true or not, we've been lulled to sleep by our domesticated, predictable, comfortable, safe lives. And this is true in every area of our life, maybe even most importantly in the context of our relationship with Jesus. That when you take away the predictability of weekly gatherings, when you take away the ease of Christian community, when you take away the, the, the safety that comes with some of the rhythms that we've grown accustomed to, when you find yourself in the wild, unpredictable, 
undomesticated reality of life, I think a lot of us have realized that hey, maybe we weren't built for the wild. And yet you can't get away from the reality that Jesus, some of his favorite work to do in the life of his followers is to lead them into the wild, to take them into the wilderness and to form something in them that can never be formed in the place of safety, predictability, comfort, and domestication. You see this all throughout the scriptures that time in the wilderness It's not the exception to the Christian life, it is the mark of the Christian life. It's not that some Christians go through wilderness seasons, it's that all people go through wilderness seasons as we're learning to live and act like Jesus because it's fundamental. It's fundamental to what it means to become a follower of Jesus. There's something that only happens in the wild, kind of untamed spaces of life. And so God leads Israel into the wilderness after they come out of Egypt. God leads Ruth and Naomi into the wilderness. He leads David into the wilderness as he's getting ready for his kingship. He leads Elijah into the wilderness in the midst of his burnout. He leads John the Baptist in the wilderness to launch his ministry. He leads Jesus into the wilderness right after his baptism. He leads leads Paul into the wilderness right after his repentance. And he is going to, he has, he will, and he will again lead us into the wilderness, not because he hates you, Not because he's trying to keep you down, but because he longs to see the fullness of Jesus formed in us. And the reality is the fullness of Jesus is rarely formed in us in the midst of comfort, safety, predictability, and domestication. Welcome to ethos. Right, like welcome to church. Like this is the reality of the Christian life. And if we expect to pledge our allegiance to King Jesus, and then safely coast into a journey of comfort and predictability, we've bought into the wrong story. On some level over the last year, every one of us, we've experienced some aspect of life in the wilderness. We've experienced what happens when you're thrust into the unpredictable, untamable, undomesticated reality of you don't know what's coming tomorrow, you don't know what's coming next. And whether you've thought about this or wrestled with this at all, it has shaped the way you do relationships, it's shaped the way you think about your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health, and most significantly, your relationship with Christ himself. And so what we wanna do over the next couple of weeks is we wanna just create space, instead of just charging along in the teaching series that we had, we wanna create space to just listen to God individually and communally and to say, Jesus, what is it that you've been trying to say to us in the middle of this wilderness season? Because here's the reality. Most human beings don't learn from the wilderness. They do whatever they can to forget it. Most don't stop to learn from the wilderness. They try to get through it, they try to survive it, and they try to forget it. If you're a student of history, maybe you remember this from 1918, the Spanish flu. It's fascinating to me that after our country went through something so similar to what we're in right now, it did not lead to a decade of sober-mindedness or repentance or faithfulness. It led to the roaring 20s. Because humanity does not typically stop and go, Lord, what are you trying to teach us? We get through, we survive, and then we forget. But God has something he wants to say to you. And I believe that's what we're gonna try to wrestle out over the next several weeks. So Deuteronomy chapter eight is where we're gonna be uh, together this morning. And I think this passage is significant for two reasons. First off, it comes at a really significant moment in, in Israel's journey. You know, they'd come out of Egypt. They'd been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then God leads them through this season in the wilderness for 40 years. And when you get to Deuteronomy chapter eight, they're not out of the wilderness yet. They're still in the wilderness 
but they're beginning to imagine life beyond the wilderness. They're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. They're beginning to see what's coming next. And for the first time in a long time, they're thinking about some of the things that they used to think about before they were wandering through the desert. And I love this, Moses stops them before the season has transitioned and he says, let's take note right here and right now of what God is doing, which is really significant. But it's not just important because of what was happening in the life of Israel, Years later, when Jesus would be baptized, he'd be led by the Holy Spirit out into the desert. We'll look at that story two weeks from now. And one of the primary passages of scripture that Jesus kept leaning back into in that moment in the desert was Deuteronomy chapter eight. In other words, there was something about this story that was strengthening and comforting Jesus, who was the son of God, filled with the spirit of God, sent to inaugurate the kingdom of God. Like there was something about this story from the wilderness that gave him strength when he was still in the wilderness himself. And so I wanna encourage you this morning, don't listen passively. Like like really listen with the Holy Spirit. Hey, Lord, what are you trying to say? So Deuteronomy chapter eight, we're gonna pick up in verse one together this morning. This is Moses speaking to the people on the edge of the wilderness, and this is what he says to them. He says, be careful to follow every command that I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord, your God, led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble. Listen to this, church, listen. To humble and to test you in order that you would know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands Verse three, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Listen to this. He did this to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years, so know deeply in your heart. He's saying, hey, pay attention. Let this soak in. Let it come all the way down into the deep spaces. Know in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And so I love this. Moses said, hey, let's stop. Let's reflect on the wilderness. But as we reflect on the wilderness, as we think back on all that God has done, let's make sure we understand that everything that has happened has come from the gracious, loving, mercy merciful, tender reality of who God is. That the wilderness is not designed to be your punishment. I don't know if you know that or not. Israel did not get into the wilderness because they were being punished. They stayed there longer than they were supposed to because of their punishment. But they were actually led there by the kindness and the tenderness of God. Like the wilderness isn't designed to to punish you. It's it's not God trying to to hold you down. I love what Moses says here. He says, just like a good dad who loves his children, disciplines his kids because he wants the best for them, stop and take note of what's happened in the wild, undomesticated, unpredictable realities of the wild. So that you wouldn't leave on the table all of the stuff that God's trying to do in you. So he says, this comes from God who loves you and he begins to reflect back. And I want you to just notice Moses doesn't give an exhaustive list of what happens in the wilderness, but I want you to just look at what comes out of this chapter and to see if you resonate with any of it over the last year. If you take notes, the first thing that he, he, he gives kind of voice to, he says, in, in the desert, in the wilderness, God does this work of humbling us. He humbles us, as you see in verse two. It says, the Lord led us there for 40 years to, to humble you. Now, I don't know what you did this morning, I don't know what your prayer life is like in the morning, but I, I would bet the farm, if I had a farm to bet, like 
I would bet the farm that none of you woke up this morning, got out of your bed, brewed a cup of coffee and said, dear Lord Jesus, son of God, humble me. So the kind of prayers we pray. We pray things like, Lord, bless me, encourage me, strengthen me, lead me, give me that job. Let that guy ask me out. Let that girl say yes. Let, let, let the career come through. You know, whatever it is that you pray for. When's the last time you woke up and said, Lord, humble me? See, the reality is like none of us want to be humbled, but the reality is in the, the hands of a father that loves you, it's one of the greatest gifts he gives you. Because it's in the humbling of God that God begins to work out the two great enemies of the human heart. I think two of the greatest enemies of the human heart, especially in regards to the way that you relate to God, are the enemies of pride and self-sufficiency. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you're in a season of comfort and predictability and domestication, when your job is going good and your marriage is going good and things with the kids are going good and your career as a musician is going good and when your dreams are working out, have you ever noticed that in those seasons, it's not as easy to walk in humility, but we tend to walk in pride and self-sufficiency. We begin to think we're smarter than we are wiser than we are, more spiritual than we are, more wonderful than we are. There's just something about domestication, predictability, comfort that stirs up not humility and dependence, but instead pride and self-sufficiency. And nothing will destroy the heart and nothing will wreck your relationship with Jesus like those two things. And so the Lord in his grace, he, he woos us out into the wilderness where all of a sudden in the wilderness you go, I don't have the skills to survive here. I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what to do with tomorrow. I don't know if we're gonna make it. And there's something about that for the follower of Jesus that doesn't drive you to more pride and more self-sufficiency. It drives you to humility and dependence. And it's there that the spirit of God is poured out in your life. See, the wilderness, it humbles us. Very few people walk out of the wilderness with their chest high and their shoulders back and their head up going, I did it. You come out of the wilderness going, man, thank God for his mercy. His grace, his kindness. Uh, on Tuesday night, I was walking around the neighborhood with some of my, my guys that are in our house church, just some of my, my dear brothers, and we were walking around the neighborhood, and we're just talking about what God has been doing over the last few weeks, few months. And one of the guys said something, it just, it struck such a chord with me. He said, if you would have asked me a year ago, like to just assess my relationship with Jesus and my wife and my kids and my work and all of that, he said, I would have given myself like A++ across the board. He said, I felt so good about where I was if you would've just asked me a year ago. He said, I would've thought that you could've plopped me down in the most hostile environments to send me to a place where I was the only Christian to put me on an island by myself. And he said, what I would've expected is that worship and hope and discipline would've just flowed out of me, he said, but what I discovered instead is that my rhythms with God aren't quite as strong as I thought they were. And my community wasn't quite as strong as I thought it was. And and I'm not quite the, the husband or the dad or the, the boss that I thought I was. And he said, and I don't say any of that in shame, he says, but it's been in that stretching, it's been in that testing that God has driven me back to himself. See, it's in the desert, guys, that, that we're humble, that God begins to drive out the things that keep us from knowing him. But the reality is, unless you stop to really just ask God, okay, like, what have you been showing me this year? Chances are you'll miss it. I love Moses, he looks at the people right before they head out of the wilderness and he said, hey, here's the deal. He says, in the wilderness, remember how God humbled you. Second thing that he says, he didn't just humble you, remember how God tested you. It's like a good test is just an, ob an objective picture of what is actually true, right? 
So you remember those moments in high school, some of you are maybe still in high school or in college where you, you, you hop into class and there's a pop quiz or a pop test and none of us are excited about that. But a really good kind of objective test just reveals things for what they actually are. It just tells you what you actually know and what you don't really know. And I love this, Moses says it's in the wilderness that your walk with God and your relationship with each other and your, your sense of position and identity and all of that is actually tested and you, by the grace of God, get to discover who you actually are, not who you think you are. Guys, without the wilderness, most of us will live a life that is covered under a veneer of self-deception. Without the wilderness, we, we, we tend to just swim in this, in this kind of oblivion to who we actually are. <laughs> we give ourselves the, the best marks on every, oh yeah, I'm killing it, I'm killing it. But in the wilderness, you're tested and you actually learn. And God only tests us because he loves us and only after we've been tested can we be trusted to carry the mantle that God desires for you to carry. And I remember years ago, uh, my, my friend Trey and I, he's our neighbor, he's in my house church, we're gonna build a, a tree house in the backyard for my boys. And I asked Trey to come over and help me build the tree house. Uh, full disclosure, I needed him to do most of the building. I was there to help and to supervise and he's an amazing builder. And so we, he comes over and we, we build this tree house in our backyard, epic tree house for our boys. And uh, you know, we didn't really plan it out. We just kind of built it as we, we were going. So there's this moment where we're like, hey, do you think this thing is gonna hold? You know, we're just kind of asking that question. And I wasn't sure that I really wanted to know like the answer to that question, but I thought, you know, my kids are gonna be in this and kids from the neighborhood are gonna be in this, so I guess we should know. And so Trey and I are trying to figure out, hey, should we test it or not? And at first we just kind of shook it gently and it's like, oh, it feels good. I'm like, that's not how the kids are gonna play in this treehouse. They're gonna go crazy on this thing. And so we decided, hey, let's climb up in this treehouse and let's shake it as hard as we can because if two grown men can't break it, then these kids will never break it. So we get up and we begin to shake and the thing falls apart and Trey falls and breaks his leg. <laughs> Joking, that didn't happen. <laughs> we, we, we shook the tree house and it survived. You can be excited about that if you want. Like we, 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 we tested it and it held up. But, but, but the testing, hey listen, the, the testing is what gave us the confidence to entrust our kids to that. You only trust that which has been tested. And you're so rarely tested in a season of predictability and comfort and stability. You're tested where? Help me out, church. You're tested in the wilderness, in the wild. Moses says, remember how the Lord led you. He led you to humble you. He led you to test you. Look down at verse three, and it says, and he led you to teach you. It's in the wilderness where, where the Lord begins to teach you what you thought you already know, uh, knew, which sounds kind of funny. Like I love what he says in verse three. He says, the Lord took you into the desert to remind you that people don't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I'm convinced if you would have found one of the Hebrew people before they left Egypt and they went into the desert, if you would have found them on the street, if you would have found them on a Saturday when they came out of synagogue and you said, hey, pop quiz, who is your provider? Almost every one of them right at the top of their head would have said, God's my provider. But Moses said, it's not until you found yourself in the wilderness it's not until you found yourself in that moment where you couldn't go to the grocery store and you didn't have the job and you didn't know where tomorrow's paycheck was coming from, you didn't know where the food was coming. It wasn't until you were in the wild unknown that you actually began to learn the thing you thought you already knew. 
See, it's in the wilderness where God takes your head knowledge of God and exposes it for what it actually is and then drives it not just into your mind but into your heart so it can bear fruit in your life. He teaches us there. Hey, here's what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. Here's what it really means to walk in faithfulness with God. He teaches us in those places what it means to live it out. I was thinking about a conversation I had with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. He's part of our church, just an amazing dude. He said, Dave, if you would have asked me before COVID, who is my provider, who is my strength, without blinking, I would have said Jesus. Like Jesus, he takes care of me. He said, but truly at the end of the day, I thought it was me. I thought it was my job. I thought it was my skill set. I thought it was my charisma. He said, two weeks into COVID, I lost a job I thought I could never lose. 13 months later, I still have not found a job to replace it. And he said, over the last 13 months, he said, God has provided for me in ways I could have never imagined. He's taken care of our family in ways we could have never imagined. He hasn't just met our needs. He has even met so many of our wants. So I've seen his goodness. I've seen his mercy. I'm growing dependent on him. And he said, in this season, God has taken something that I thought I knew and he's helped me to actually know it. It's what happens in the wilderness. God takes your theoretical faith and he makes it concrete and he makes it real. (laughs) He takes the trite things that we just spit out of our mouth at a random conversation across coffee with another believer and he drives it into every cell, into the depth of your DNA so that you can experience the fruit of it. And this is the stuff that happens, not in predictability, not in comfort, not in safety, but where? In the wild, in the wilderness. And so Moses stops them and he says, hey, I want you to take note of of what God has done. Don't lose sight of what God has done. He he has led you here on purpose and he's taught you and he's tested you and he's humbled you and he does this because he is a great dad. And Moses says, I don't want you to forget it. Look back at verse one and two with me. It's so interesting. You know, they're they're getting ready to leave the wilderness. And Moses, he he starts this pep talk in the most unusual way. He doesn't start it the way that you would expect him to start a speech for a group of people that are getting ready to enter in to a promised land. He doesn't go, yeah, we made it. (laughs) Yeah, you survived. Yeah, you killed it. This is what he says. He says, be careful. He says, be careful. Why? Because Moses knew that the most detrimental context for you flourishing in your faith is not the unpredictability of the desert but it is the perceived comfort and security and predictability of your normal life. And so Moses looks at him and he says, hey, be careful. As you begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel, whatever that even means, if you just try to return to what was, (laughs) he says, you're gonna miss what God's been doing. He says, be careful. Then he gets to to verse two, look at verse two with me. And he says, remember, he says, remember. Like, remember what the Lord did. Don't don't do what all of humanity does. Don't just survive this. Don't just forget it. Don't put it on a back shelf and run into the next thing. He says, remember it. Think about it. Let it go deep into your heart what God has done in the midst of the wilderness. Because there's something your father has been trying to teach you. And if you don't fully receive it, you will be destined to repeat it. If you do not receive it, you will be destined to repeat it. And so Moses says, I want you to, to stop and take this in. So the question is, like, like, how do we do this? 
And I wanna say this with much, as much love and gentleness as I know how to say this. If I can make you do this, I would drive to your house tomorrow and I'd make you do this just because I love you. I can't do this. But I just say this with all love and gentleness. If you just hear this message out of Deuteronomy 8 and don't do this next thing we're about to talk about, you have just wasted the last 20 minutes of your life. Because the reality is information without application is the soil in which self-deception grows up. And so you can sit in church and hear a message and go, oh, I like that, that made me feel good, oh, that challenged me, and then go about your life and you never grow and you don't know why because information without application will lead you toward self-deception. But information with application is the space in which the Holy Spirit of God shows up and just begins to do all sorts of great things in your life. And so I wanna end, just take a couple of minutes right here to talk about how do we actually seize this moment, use this moment to remember what God has been doing in our life. And so in your seat, I want you to grab this, uh, grab this right now. It may be in your seat or under your seat. There should be a piece of paper. For those of you that are joining us online right now, just ethoschurch.org forward slash blog. You can download this. But I wanna invite you to grab this sheet of paper. And this is something that my wife, Sydney, and I do virtually every time we're getting ready to come into a new season, whatever that means. This is a practice we, we go through. I, I'm not up here peddling theory. I'm not asking you to do something I wouldn't do. I, I, just with the love in my heart, I go, this will bless you if you will actually do it, but I can't make you to do it. And so here's, here's a few things that I challenge you to do before you come back next Sunday. Number one is that you would create some space that you would create some space in your life to really hear from God, to let God speak to you in regards to what's been going on the last year. What I would argue is that today, before the sun goes down, you need to pull out your calendar and you need to decide when and where. I would encourage you to put something on your calendar before Wednesday of this next week. I mean, like while it's still kind of fresh on your mind. I would encourage you to set aside at least a two hour block of space. And some of you just like almost choked when I said that. You're like, I don't have two hours. I bet you you have two hours. You can give up some TV or a movie or something or whatever it is. Some of you are maybe going, hey, I don't have two hours. Then take four 30 minute blocks. I'm just telling you, fight for this space because the reality is you cannot remember that which you have not slowed down long enough to recognize. You cannot remember what God has done this year if you will not slow down long enough to recognize what it is that he's done. And so I wanna challenge you, start by creating some space. Put it on your calendar, make a note of it, say, hey, I'm gonna do that. Second thing that you'll see on this piece of paper, it's not just about creating space, it's about in that space, reflecting deeply with God. Reflecting deeply with God, get a journal, get a piece of paper, get a hot cup of coffee, go somewhere quiet, put your phone away, get your computer away, like get away from distractions. If, if you're married with kids, take turns doing this so the other spouse can watch the kids, like get away and reflect deeply with God. I've put some questions on this piece of paper that Sydney and I use as we go into a season of reflection like this. Those of you that are type A, you're looking at this going, wow, that's a lot of questions. Do you have to answer all of them? No, you don't. They're just designed to get you started, just designed to, to kind of get your heart and your mind working. Add questions to it. If one of them grabs your attention more than another, sit in that question as long as you need to, but create some space. And then reflect with God deeply. Just invite God into it. God, would you show me and pay attention to what he puts in your heart, in your mind, what memories come, uh, what things stir up and just write them down. Third thing that you'll notice, flip the paper over. 
is after you've created the space, after you've reflected deeply, I wanna encourage you to share your findings with somebody that you trust. That's why I said I would encourage you to do the first part of this exercise between now and Wednesday, so that way, before you get to the end of the week, you can grab a cup of coffee with someone from your house church or your at-home gathering or your spouse or a friend or a roommate or whoever it is that you trust. And I wanna encourage you to just sit down and to process what's God been saying. I found this to be one of the most helpful things uh, that we do. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Sydney and I, uh, after we'd done this process, we, we took our boys and we went to breakfast. We spent just a couple of hours sitting around breakfast and I don't wanna paint a more glorious picture than it was. I mean, it's messy, it's fun, conversations are happening. But we said, hey, the whole purpose of this, we'd asked all of our boys before they came to, the, to that breakfast, write down what was good from this year, what was hard from this year, where'd you see God at work? And we all came to the table ready to talk. And guys, it's amazing what happens when you begin to share and you begin to process your wilderness experience with other people. I'm just telling you, God's gonna do something in that. The Holy Spirit will show up in it. So create some space. Nod your head if that makes sense. Create some space this week. Reflect deeply, kind of nod your head with me if that makes sense. Share with somebody else, and then last but not least, take action. Take action. As you reflect on these things, as you talk about it, there's gonna be some things that the Lord is gonna invite you to step into. I was talking with a friend of mine that's a pastor at a church about 30 minutes south of here about six months ago, and he was, he was talking about what he does with the things that God reveals to him in the wilderness, and it was the most helpful framework for me and actually put it on the bottom of this sheet just so you could come back to it if it's helpful for you. He said, but Dave, sometimes in the wilderness, God will show me that there's certain areas of my life that are healthier than I knew, stronger than I could have imagined. And he said, what do you do when God shows you that? He said, I turn it into a place of praise and worship. He said, because any area of strength that is revealed that's not quickly turned into praise will become pride. And so this week, when you sit down and do this with the Lord, I'm telling you, he's gonna show some things to you and you're gonna go, wow, Maybe my marriage or my friendship or my communities or my time with God is stronger than I realize. And I'm just saying, the moment you see something that's strong and healthy, turn it into a place of praise as fast as you can. For some of you, that'll be your action. He went on to say, he said, but everything that gets revealed in the wilderness is not that which is strong and healthy. Sometimes it's that which is weak and struggling. And I said, what do you do with the things that are revealed to be weak and struggling? He said, he said those things... He said, I, I, I share it with God, I share it with others, and then I ask the Lord to help me make a plan for strengthening it. So if I'm not the kind of dad that I wanna be, I ask God to help me become a stronger dad. If my rhythms with the Lord aren't what I want them to be, I ask him to help me make stronger habits in the morning. He said, I make a plan for strengthening that which is weak, giving praise for that which is strong. And last but not least, he said, but it's not just the strong and the weak that comes up in the wilderness. He said, it's also a place where God shows me my sin. And he said, and what do I do with my sin? He said, I repent. He said, and when my sin comes to the surface, I ask God for forgiveness. I share it with my community and ask for strength. And then in the context of the people that I'm walking with, I ask that God would help me walk in the freedom that Jesus has purchased for me on the cross. And guys, I cannot make you do this. I wish so badly I could. I'm just telling you, something happens in us when we don't just go through the wilderness, when we don't just survive it, when we don't just forget it, but when we stop with God, say, God, would you speak to me? When we look across the table at another human being, saying, hey, would you help me to see what you're seeing, hear what you're hearing? And then together we move forward in action. It's amazing what God's gonna do. And I believe God has so much more for us as a church family than merely escaping the past year and getting back to normal. 
but I'm convinced we won't know how to see it unless we as individuals are learning how to remember what he's done. And so next week we're gonna come back together and what I'm praying is that every one of you will have done this before we get back together, whether you're online or with this in person, that you will have leaned into this, that you will have tried this. And next week we're gonna talk about how do we bring all of those discoveries to Jesus? How do we let Jesus lead us through that? But before we go into any of that, I just wanna read this passage of scripture over us as we prepare for communion this morning. Before we do any self-reflection, before we, we ask God to speak in our lives, just listen to these words out of Hebrews chapter four. I love what Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 says. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess for we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So because of that, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love this moment where the author of Hebrews says, hey, here's the deal. Sometimes it's scary to face our wilderness experiences because we know who we've become in the wilderness. He says, but Jesus, your great high priest, who is in the wilderness just like you, who understands you so deeply, unlike you, he didn't sin, he didn't falter, and he brings his strength to the table, not to taunt you or to hold it over you, but to offer his grace, his mercy, and his kindness. And so guys, before we do anything else this week, we're gonna take the communion together. We're gonna receive the communion together. And I wanna invite you to get it out right now. And here in just a moment, you can take off that top little piece of plastic that has the bread, and then you can take off the, the second piece that has the juice. And here in just a moment, I'm gonna encourage you to turn to somebody next to you and spend some time just praying. For those of you that are online, we're gonna, here in just a moment, send you with some instructions on how to take communion together. But before we go into any of this stuff that we've just talked about, before we think about the wilderness and remember the wilderness and process the wilderness, we're gonna come to the table of grace, the one that endured and was strong in the midst of the wilderness, amen? And we're gonna do that around communion. We're gonna pray together, and then we're gonna end our time in worship. And so let me pray over you as we get ready for communion. Father, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you. God, for those that are at home on their own, who are gathered with others, for those that are in this room, Lord, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you draw near to us? Would you just begin to illuminate the areas where you've already been at work in the midst of this wilderness season? Father, we acknowledge that we are not through the desert, but we recognize that the culture all around us is beginning to, to at least think beyond the desert. And God, as your people, we just acknowledge we do not want to forget what you've been teaching us here. Show us, lead us. But as you do that, God, would you show us your tenderness, your kindness, your mercy, your grace, the way that you've been with us every step of the way. Father, we receive this bread, we receive this cup as just a testimony of grace to who you are and to what you've done and to the way that you've endured. And so we approach you in prayer and in worship and reflection this week with confidence that as we come near to you, what we get is mercy and grace not judgment, not harsh, not harsh treatment, not I told you so's. So Jesus, we thank you for who you are. And it's in your name we pray, amen.